Let's just pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we pray that you would continue to show us what we need to see in the scriptures. Continue to equip us in these dark days, in these last days, that we would be the light out there in this world. And God, we, we humbly come, as we've just sung, we also do. We humbly come before you tonight. Help us. Holy Spirit, come and lead us, guide us, teach us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Get a hold of one of those if you haven't got one. There should be plenty on the seats there. It's entitled The, the Power of the Tongue. And when you've got that, if you turn to Genesis chapter 1 also. Genesis chapter 1, nice and easy to find, right? Genesis chapter 1. I'll leave those up there. We spent quite a while looking at that line that says, for lack of knowledge, people perish, and, and, and how true that is. The devil seeks to hide specifics from you, not just any type of knowledge, but particular pieces of knowledge that are key for the future. If he can hide them, bury them, and keep them away from you, then we're thwarted. And tonight's topic is a very, very, very good example of that. It's the power of the tongue, the power of your speech, the great damage it can do, or the great, great blessing that it can be to, to all those you meet through your life. Look at Genesis chapter 1, and we'll lay up a, a, a precept here. Genesis chapter 1, and the beginning of verse 3 says this, And God said, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 6, the beginning of it says this, And God said, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 9, the beginning of it says this, And God said, verse 14, And God said, And on and on and on it goes, that God's power is released through his speech, right? Through what he says. In Proverbs, it says this, that we learn by line upon line, precept upon precept. And one of the, the flaws, one of the, 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 the failures as believers when we try to advance our lives is we can try to grab a piece of knowledge, try, try to grab an insight but have no foundation for it. Line upon line. Precept upon precept. Start at the beginning. And we need to accept what we've just read. God releases his power through his words, through what he says. That's the first line. The next line is about you. You need to accept the first one first. God's power is not released through his hands, his physical work. God's power is not released through his thought. God's power is released through his word, as it always has been and ever shall be. That's the first line. And the next line's about us, line upon line. We're made in his image. So you have been made in the image of this God, so the same principle applies to you. The power that is in you, the faith that is in you, will only be released through your word, through what you say. It's not about what we think. It's not about what we do, and goodness knows we can do. You can work, work, work all your life. But if we would only embrace, harness ourselves to the clear principles that God spells out here, I am made in the image of God. 
right? So are you. You are made in His image with the same principles apply. And because we're believers here, I trust all of us are saved, there's an issue of faith within you. There's a portion of faith within you. But why on earth do we not see that faith activated like we shared this morning? Why is there not more faith coming out of me, right? Coming out of you. When you see that sick person to walk up and see the healing. And I want to deal with some of that tonight because your speech does affect it. Not the only thing, but it's a major, major thing. Does God take the words that come out of his mouth seriously? Wow. I mean, wow. He says this, I will not alter the word that comes out of my mouth. I will not change it. And I don't know if you're aware that, you know, God really, really, really means that. And let me ex explain just a little glimpse of how seriously God takes speech. Right? Here's Adam. God creates Adam and God makes what we call the Adamic covenant. He puts Adam in the Garden of Eden. He gives him the keys of the earth. He gives him authority over the earth. Now mark this. Adam is body, soul, and spirit. Adam is flesh. And the Adamic covenant is made with a man and a body, body, soul, and spirit. And he's got the keys of the kingdom. He's in charge of the earth. Now you know what happened. Adam does a very foolish thing. He sins and hands those keys over to Satan. Now why doesn't God just enter as a spirit? Why doesn't God just come in and blow Satan out of the way? He doesn't do that because there was a word spoken. There was a covenant that was made. And I will not alter the word that goes out of my mouth. So what happens? We have all those thousands of years and God was so committed to the word that came out of his mouth that he waited until God became flesh until God became man. He wouldn't break his word. He waited until Jesus took on flesh, entered the human race, and thus our God both kept his word and saved you. Now, I don't, if that's not commitment to the word that comes out of your mouth, then what is? Wow. And when you see that, you also understand that this same God, look at me, listen, this same God said there was a heaven. This same God said there is a hell. This same God said that you will be judged for every word that comes out of your mouth. He will not be breaking that word. So we need to take the scriptures immensely, immensely seriously. Everything, this is my opinion anyway, I believe the whole earth and all the universe holds together by the power of God's Word. Some of you watched a documentary type thing there recently on dark matter and how dark matter or dark energy out there in space and how things are held together. Well, I believe it's the Word of God that literally does that. Everything is held together. My body, your body, the whole universe is held together by the power of the Word of God. Well, that's my belief anyway. Amen? So, if Jesus were to take a day off, <laughs> You know, take a rest. I think this entire universe and everything, I mean, I really mean that. I think the whole thing would fly apart. 
if God just relaxed a moment. Everything is held together by the power of what he said. Remember Adam and Eve, it's the same sort of situation. You see, Adam, Eve was secure. Even though she sinned, she was still covered by Adam. But as soon as Adam sinned, right, what happened to Eve? Boom. They both fell. So you see, if Jesus was ever to sin, and he isn't going to, so don't worry about it, because the temptation time's over. It was his incarnation. He had to go through temptation, and he didn't sin. And now he's back in heaven where he came from, right? But if Jesus were ever to sin, do you know what would happen to you and all of us? How? It's over. Everything is held together in the Word of God, be that the living Word, the written Word, right? It's held together in Christ. Our words are important, okay? God even says this, and this is probably the most shocking line concerning this subject. He says, I have exalted my word above my name. How on earth would you dare have said that? Would you dare have said that you exalted the, the scriptures, the, the, the word above the name of God? Never would you dream of saying such a thing. But you see, a, a person's word, a, a person's name is only as good as their word. If someone says they're going to do something, then they're going to do it, and then they say they're going to do something, then they're going to do it. After a while, their name is nothing. And God says, I, have exalt I will always keep my word. I will never break my word. And therefore, my name will have authority. That's what that means right in there. I've exalted my word above my name. Now, we live in a day that I think has got is hellbent to try and get us to, to not appreciate that. That we see so many people say, you know, I'll meet you tomorrow at 10. Don't show up. Right? And a man's word is just, it, it's, it, it has no meaning anymore. But for us, it's got to be the center of what we, you know, the, our behavior, our speech has got to be grounded on the word of God. We can't be like the world. When they say one thing and, and do another, or make promises and don't keep them, we cannot be like that. I want to lay some, some very simple principles, but they're not that simple. They're the, it's the easy things, the simple things we always leave, and then they cripple us in our Christian walk. So stick to the basics and, and things are okay. Three simple statements I want to make tonight. The first one is that speech is a law. Now by that I mean a spiritual law, not a scientific law. I don't trust scientific laws, right? Scientific laws are, are wishy-washy. For instance, you, you've got the law of gravity. But the law of gravity is isn't, not actually a law. Because it doesn't, a, a law should work in every, in every setting, in every environment, on every occasion, correct? That's why we call it a law. So here we are on earth and we believe in the law of gravity, but the law of gravity won't work in space. So therefore, why do we call it a law? Why do we put such emphasis and focus on science when science is actually selling you something that's not true? Because how can you call it a law when it doesn't work up there? It's not a law. It's actually only a law in this environment. Watch your science, you see. Amen? Lead us up the garden path. What's true and what's false? Well, what God says is that speech is a spiritual law. Right? And that means it's going to work like if I drop this... this Whatever pointer on the ground, it will fall to the ground. If Pastor Tom drops it to the ground, it will also fall to the ground. And we call that the law of gravity. In other words, it will work for anybody. So speech is like that. Speech is a spiritual law that works for everyone. But the truth is, when you listen to people, 
you very quickly realize they don't think it applies to them. We just don't think it applies to us. Like most things, we let ourselves off the hook. Listen, the law of speech applies to you. And you are a product of many of the things that you've said about yourself. Maybe you're a product of the things that other people have sowed into you and said into you because you accepted them. But the, the law of speech actually applies to you. Like it or not, accept it or not, it will still work in your life for good and for evil. Look at Mark chapter 11 and verse 22. Mark chapter 11 and verse 22. Jesus begins to spell out how this law works and how we should use it. Mark chapter 11 and verse 22. Jesus says this, have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone, what? What does it say? Says, I'll read it again, verse 22. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go and throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. And then he goes over it again. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, Believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Twice, he makes a connection here. Listen, there's a lot of confusing teaching out there. Have you heard of the Name It and Claim It Brigade? Right? There's a lot of, a lot of you know, particularly maybe a couple of decades ago, there was a lot of, 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 of thought, a lot of belief out there that you could walk up and, you know, claim something. Say you need a new car, something like that. You'd see a car. You walk up, I claim it in Jesus' name. You see? That's got nothing to do with the Bible. And it's got no place for us. That's just, it's nonsense. It's called hyperfaith. Right? That's the term they use to describe it. But that's not what Jesus, what did Jesus just say? You can't just walk up. Whoever says with his mouth and believes in his heart. So it isn't just a question of, of, of speaking something out like that. That's not faith. That's just your mind talking. That's just a thought. You've got a mind that can come up with a, a thought and you can just speak that thing out. There's no faith connected. Where are we speaking out of when we speak words of faith? Spirit. So words of faith come out of your spirit, not out of your brain, not out of your thoughts, not out of a desire that you've conjured up in your mind or whatever. It's from your spirit. And we must learn we're all, I trust, born again. Therefore, we all have a spirit within us that's alive unto God. Now we need to learn to, 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 to speak out of that spirit, right? I love what Womack says. If you've ever wondered about, as, as we mentioned this morning, there's the centurion's prayer, which was one prayer, and there's the persistent widow's prayer, which was continual prayer. And I love those two things looked at together because you really understand the nature of prayer. But if you're praying for something, and you're not getting that answer that you want and you believe you're in the will of God, just keep on praying. And uh, Womack pointed out this. He said, hey, if you pray for the same thing a hundred times, one of those times you might be in faith. You get it? One of those times, you could pray a hundred times, maybe 99 times it's just your brain. But maybe you're right. And maybe God does want you to break through. Then all you need is that one breakthrough, right? All you need is one at one time in that whole prayer time is just that one breakthrough. And I'd never seen that or, or perceived that. I thought that's absolutely right. 
It's got to drop from my brain sometimes into my spirit, so I'm actually connected in faith. Whoever says with his mouth and believes in his heart, he will have whatever he says. So these two things, not hyper-faith, it's real faith, faith in action. So scriptures have some mighty serious things to say about this. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 18 and verse 20, it says, The power of life and death are in your tongue. The power of life and death. Now, this, is, this can be your life. The power to speak good into yourself. The power to speak encouragement, as David did, into yourself. The power to speak good to other people. The power of life and of death. And I'm sure we all know people that we don't want to be around because they're so negative. People who speak so much death, and you just don't want that. See, everybody's different. Some, Jesus said, whoever believes in his heart, says and believes, some people have got a lot of faith, both positively and negatively. Years ago, my brother John, he'll actually be here next Sunday. He's born again now. But my brother John, I believe he has the gift of faith. And he's got great power in his words. But he used that for great negativity became an alcoholic and had a terrible life. But John used to pour out negatives. Does it? John, shush, stop it, man. You know? But many times I encountered the, the power in, in, in my brother, and it wasn't good. So watch your speech. You assess yourself. Take a look at Romans. The book of Romans, chapter, eight, uh, chapter 10 and verse 8. Romans chapter 10. And verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And, but here he goes again. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. And again and again, the Bible brings us back, pulling us away from hyperfaith. Now, I, I hope you're getting it, folks, because don't go for another 10 years without it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Faith resides in your spirit. Faith is spoken into your life by God. And that faith you cultivate and you activate with speech. You cultivate it and you activate it out of your mouth. You know, as I said today, you know when you've got faith. Now, faith is, Hebrews chapter 11. Now, faith is. And I was sharing this afternoon. You know, as a pastor, you get called all the time to pray, pray for the sick. So-and-so sick, so-and-so sick. Come and pray for this, come and pray for that. Now, I'll just be blatantly blunt and honest with you. I get a phone call, I go and pray. And, and, and you know, you go and you pray, but most of the time, you don't see a healing. And I don't, and may God forgive me for that, for not having exercised my faith enough. But let me tell you something. I'm walking through Dublin one day, the phone rings. And it's a woman, I know, she's a Romanian in one of our churches. And she says, my daughter has been diagnosed with measles on the inside. It's inside her body. They've said there's no hope. She will die. And I spoke, I said, okay, I'll come to the hospital. From the moment I got that phone call, I had faith. Not in my brain, 
not in my heart wishing something would happen, but faith in my spirit, real, living, tangible faith. And so much so, I was able to go into the hospital and speak. The faith was coming out of my mouth, you see? And days went by and we had an awful battle with that child, but it came to a head, you know, it came to a confrontation. And it was actually one day I got a phone call and the, the mom said, it's too late. You know, thank you, but it's all over. The hospital have said that her bowels are frozen. They're not moving. Her kidneys are not moving. And her lungs are now filled with water. They, they've said she will die tonight. And said, you stay there. I'm coming over. And I went over and there was the mom and the dad and the child, only three years old. And there was a nurse in the room. But when you've got faith, you know it. It's not in your brain. It's in your spirit and it's alive. Right? And you know it. And so in front of that nurse, I was able to walk in and speak out the faith that was in my gut in here. And I said to those parents, tonight, this girl's bowels will move. Tonight, this girl's kidneys will move. Tonight, all the water will be gone. You will leave the hospital with your child. Now, if you got, ain't got faith for it, you best not be saying that sort of thing. Amen. Because you're going to destroy people. But such is faith. You see, faith is... And it will come out in your speech. And I went home, I went to bed. Five o'clock, the phone rings. And it's an ecstatic mother to say everything had happened. The lungs of all the water's gone. Her bowels have moved, the kidneys. And it was about two months when that child bounced out of that hospital, restored back to life. Faith is. It's real. It's tangible. So forget this hyper-faith brain stuff. Yeah? Because that's, no, that's not in the Bible. Whoever believes in his heart, that means God has put something in you. Right? The other example I, sh I shared this morning. For I'd, I'd love to know why it is that in some cases I've got faith and in other cases I haven't. What is that? What's causing that? Another time when I got that phone call about her name was Pauline Watkins. And she was going to die. And another phone call about, about cancer. But as soon as I got the call, I knew that girl is going to be saved. And so she was. Saved. Now she died, but she was saved before she died. Baptized in her hospital bed. So faith is real. And it will come out of your mouth. And I'd say particularly to the men here, you need to begin to learn how to get faith. How to receive faith before you ever start talking, because if it's not in you, then we're just talking out of our mind. We're just talking out of desires, and that's not it. We need to learn how to get a vision, particularly men, I would say. The good, good experience of this, recently, we were, in, in fact, turn to 1 John a moment. Turn to 1 John. Let me show you the scripture before I tell you what happened. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. This is crucial, so find it in your Bible and mark it and you can memorize this scripture. It's fantastic. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if anything, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have whatever we asked of him. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That when we ask in accordance with his will. Now, do you get John's point there? It's not your mind. You know that when something is alive in you, 
such as when that phone call came through, I knew this is the will of God. It is the will of God to heal this child. So faith is alive in my spirit. But what do I do if I'm not quite sure? What do I do? How do I get a vision? How do I get faith? Last year or the year before, was it? We were living up here in Rock Hill and we intend to stay in Glasgow for the rest of our days. So we wanted to move down to another area called Bearsden just down the road. So what do you do? Got no money. Giving it all to missions. Haven't got a penny. And I've got a thought in my mind, but it's not in my spirit. But I think it's God's will, but I don't know what to do. So where do you start with something like that? You have a desire that's a good desire. But where do you begin? We need to start with the vision. So what we did, I say, Jeanette, you stay at home. I'm, I'm the leader, I'm the man. So I need to go and get revision. So she would stay at home and I would go down and I would start to walk through the streets of Bear's Den and just think and look and be brutally honest. And I would normally ring Jeanette back and just go down for an hour. I'm seeking God's will. It's in my mind. It's not in my spirit. Don't lie about it. So you go down, you walk around, and I would ring back, get in the car, ready to go back home and say, hiya, nothing. Don't feel a thing. Don't lie about it. But I've still got a desire. So a couple of months go by. I say, you know what? I'm just going to go back down. You stay there. Just pray. Go walk through the streets. Nothing. There's nothing in my spirit. It's just in my head. And then the day came, and this has happened to us several times before on other issues. Walking down the street, got it, got it, phone, got it. I know I've got it. It's no longer in my head. It's in my spirit. It's alive and kicking, and I guarantee you we're on the move, right? It makes that drop. Your desires can be good. They're just not in time yet, just not right yet, and then you can start to speak it out. Are you with me? So what's the difference? I know it's God's will now. And John says that we can have confidence before God, but only when we know it's God's will. And that's when it's in your spirit, not in your head. Okay? Is that all right? <laughs> We've got to learn to live out of the spirit, folks. That's all I'm saying. Because that's what the Bible says. And there's too much type name it and claim it stuff that has no power in it. It's not biblical. It isn't just confession. It never was. That's not what the Bible taught. It's, it's the confession of our mouth coming out of our belief that God has put in our heart. So the, is there power in the tongue? Absolutely. It begins with a law, not a scientific law, a spiritual law, which is a much more stronger thing, a permanent thing. So speech is a spiritual law. That's the first thing we would establish on the first line, if you like. Secondly, in light of that, we had better let our words be few. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 says that every person will be held to account for every word that came out of their mouths. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> you need to say uh-oh, I think. That scares me, friends. I don't know about you, but when I look back over my life, I need to repent. I need to repent and say, God, forgive me for some of the things that I've said about myself, that have said, I thought I was exempt. I thought negative speech didn't happen. I thought I could put the gun to my head, pull the trigger. Oh, it'll blow everybody else's head off, but not mine. I'll be all right. Boom. It's a law. You speak negatively about yourself, about your life, 
you get stuck in that, that's what you will reap. Words have got power. That's what the Bible's trying to get through to us. And this law applies to all of us. And if we, if we heed it, we'll be wise. Take it seriously because it is powerful. In fact, I don't think we realize the power we have, especially as born-again believers. Years ago, I was absolutely dreadful. I'm a lot better now than I was then, I can tell you. I would have been like, 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 like a blunderbuss with my words, you know. You don't know. I was like a bull in a china shop. You know what a bull in a china shop is? Doesn't know its own strength. Boom, bang, speak. And slaughtering people in the process. And actually it was Pastor Rick from Singapore one day pulled me aside. He actually made a special appointment to see me uh, just for that very point. He said, you do not know the power of, that, 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 of your own words and the great good and the great damage. So calm down. Settle it. Watch what you say. I said, thank you very much. I received that, and I did. And I thought that was very good instruction, especially when you're born again. You're born again, you've got power. And you can say things, and you can really hurt people. Speech, very negative, or can be very positive. We had a drop-in center in, in Dublin, and you know, in leadership and ministry and churches, you get very used to handling negativity all day. You just get it. It's part of the job. But they, people come at you left, right, and center. It doesn't mean a thing. It's like playing tennis. And so I think you just send it back. Just, just, just keep going. And very seldom in, in this sort of... It, it, it doesn't bother me. Negative speech doesn't bother me. You just get it, so you just deal with it and move on. It, it doesn't stick to you. And this one day, we were locking up the center. The day was over. And this girl we knew came in, and she just said a few words... But my, oh my, her words to me were like a boom, whack, bang. Wow. How did you do that? She got me. She got me. After years of sending that thing back, all of a sudden, I was given a knockout punch from a few words from Julie, but this size. <laughs> you see, I knew I'd been hit and I couldn't understand it. So I drove up, my senior pastor, Peter Finch, came up to his house. There was actually a leaders meeting that night. And I turned and said, Peter, I need help. I don't know what's happening. I've been hit. What happened? And I explained to him. Ah, and he gave me very good advice. He reminded me about Elijah. Remember, in fact, turn to it. 2 Kings 19. Look at this. About the power of words and how you got to watch for that coming at you. 2 Kings chapter 19. Elijah has been on... The, uh, against the prophets of Baal. He's on the, the, the top of his game. And all of a sudden, something is said. Something is said to him. And it destroys him. It was the words of Jezebel. 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel, who's got spiritual power behind her words, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, to say, you see, no doubt Elijah had had many people say things, but not Jezebel, not Jezebel. And Jezebel's connected to some spiritual power negatively. And when that message reaches this mighty man of God, this prophet, he's down and out because of demonic power in words, you see. So you've got to watch that, be sensitive to it, 
and realize that if you do get hit, get help. I mean, it's bad enough when it comes from outside, but isn't it ten times worse than when we're damaging ourselves or each other? It's not dreadful that we should speak down about ourselves, because you can, you know. I shared a house with a guy once. He was, he was very sick, and, and, or had been, and he'd got out of it, and started to work and everything else, but he ran short of money, and in order to get benefits, he decided to declare himself sick. I was sitting in the living room, and I happened to hear him on the phone ringing up the psychiatric department and confessing that I'm sick again, and I need benefits, I need help. And I remember when he came off that phone, I was saying to him, Listen, mate, you go on like that, and you are going to get very sick. You start ringing people up and saying you're sick when you're not, what are you going to be? You're going to be very sick. That's the gun at the head again. You're blowing your own head off. You're ruining your own life with your own words. Proverbs. And foolish wife tears her own house down with her words. With her words. I don't think we believe this. I think that most Christians think they are exempt. We think it applies to everybody. Oh, negative speech there. Oh, negative speech there. But we don't see it in ourselves. And we do, can do, speak very negatively. See, controlling our tongue has got to be the, the, the ultimate definition of walking in the Spirit. When I'm, I mean, James says this, doesn't he? If anyone can control the tongue, he says if, that, that is a perfect man, right? Incredibly difficult to achieve. Jeanette actually is a very good example, particularly with speech. And I know, I live with her. <laughs> and I can tell you, very, very very rarely will she say something wrong. Very rarely. It's got, you know, control over that. But, and that ends up then with a sanctified walk. Because if anyone can control their speech, they'll control their lives also. James, right? If anyone can do that, because that is incredibly difficult to do, but if you do it, it has a knock-on effect for the rest of your life. It helps you to walk in a sanctified and a strong way. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Let's say, Chris here, let's say I say something to Chris that I shouldn't say. I've spoken words and they were wrong and I've insulted him or something like that, but I'm proud, so I'm not going to say sorry. And seven whole days go by before I ring Chris up. I say, Chris, I'm sorry. I, I, I shouldn't have said that. Forgive me. Is that walking in the Spirit seven days? So I learned from that experience a few months go by and I say something to Chris again. <laughs> but this time, I don't wait seven days. I remember what happened the last time. This time I only wait one day. And I ring him the next day and I say, I'm sorry for what I said yesterday. Am I walking in the Spirit now? No. Getting better. <laughs> but you're still not walking in the Spirit. So then I come into the church and a few months go by and I walk up to Chris and I say something and I shouldn't have said and I walk away and I just get to the back and I come up and I say, hey Chris, I'm am I walking in the Spirit now? No. <laughs> no. It's getting better. Getting better. Getting nearer and nearer all the time. And then another couple of months go by and Chris is there again. I walk up, but this time I hold my tongue. This time I don't say it. If you keep on doing that, you know what? Very soon you won't even think it. And that's what James is getting at. 
The tongue is a very good, so Rudder, he describes it, right? Shaping and directing the whole life. A very good indication of the actual amount of control, the level of sanctification in a person's life can be heard. Not just seen, heard. By what they don't say. By their ability to control their tongue. So, simple point. Number one, speech is a law. That means it's going to work for me, so I better believe it. And I better watch what I say. Number two, in light of that, I had best let my words be few. Count them, consider them. And lastly, we had all better watch the way we pray. And this church is very good like that, praise God. Our prayers tend to be very positive, very upbeat and everything else, you know. But sometimes prayers can be nothing but a downright complaint, you know. A non-stop ranting and raving, telling God everything that's wrong. I remember this one girl in one of our all-night prayer meetings in, in Dublin. She came in and she started praying like this. She, there was a church down the road called St. Catherine's. And she started saying, Lord, thank you for St. Catherine. Oh, Lord, the worship is so good in St. Catherine. And the people are so nice in St. Catherine's. I thought, I'm going to send you on a fast plane to St. Catherine's in a minute, pal. And your speech in prayer, watch your prayer. Watch what you pray. Because very often we can be negative. Saved, uh, unsaved relatives. Say you're praying for an unsaved relative. How do you pray? What do you say? What's your confession? Because if your confession is nothing but complaining and ranting and raving about, Oh Lord, they're so bad. <laughs> so far away from you. Look. Right? And it's negative. What are you using your words for? You're reinforcing everything bad in that person's life. In your own mind, you've got no faith. You're reinforcing your unbelief. And so when they're around you, they feel that negativity. You don't believe in me. See? And, when you, and without knowing it, you can subconsciously, through your prayer life, be reinforcing your own unbelief in our good God saving someone. It's a good example, actually. Had, we had three women come, uh, married women, sitting in our church. All three husbands not saved. And when we first started to work with them, I remember listening to, listen to these three go, what's yours like? Oh, he's terrible. Yours is as bad. Oh, he's not as bad as mine. Listen to about her. Oh, it was dreadful. And they had to take all three women and say, right, your speech has to stop. Listen to you. I mean, when your husband's around you, he's going to feel all that. Right, he is. He's going he's to pick that up. You're very negative. You're thinking negative. You're being negative about him. Get rid of that. And we instructed all three to shh. Don't say one word. Not a word. Stop witnessing. Stop testifying. Stop talking about the church. Don't ask them to come to church. Cut the whole lot. And just be a good wife. That's what the Bible says to do, by the way, in Peter's epistles. It says a wife should win her husband over without a word. Remember your position. He's got a superior position. Shh. And as you live a godly life, God will do the work on your part. All three husbands got saved. All three baptized. It was only about six months. Okay? Just a principle of speech and not using your, your prayer negatively, but using it positively, learning to guard your tongue, not just to speak foolishly or get carried away with what you might want to say, but get back, don't say it. Shh. Guard your mouth. Eventually, you'll change your thoughts. 
And eventually you can start to live out of your spirit and pray prayers that God is putting in you. The ultimate destination when it comes to this thing of our tongue, the ultimate destination that God has for you and for me is this, that we would be the living word. Amen. You remember the, the, the three aspects of the word of God? There is the, the written word right here. We call this the logos. There's the rhema word, which is the prophetic word. And there's the living word, which is Jesus Christ. And the idea that God has, the plan of God to you is simply this. It starts here. It starts with the written word, the Logos. And this is what we should do. We should read this through our mind until something comes alive in our spirit. You keep on, re read it until you hear. Simple as that. Just read the book until you hear. Don't go until you've heard. Keep reading until God has put something, not in your mind, but in your spirit. That means the Logos has become the Rhema and it's now living and kicking in you. And if you put that into practice, you then become the living word. You walk that. God has spoken a word to you and you then have, have come through the process. You've disciplined yourself to receive what God wants, God's plan. And then you put that into practice. Amen? Let's pray and just invite the worship team back. Father, we firstly repent of any and everything wrong that we've ever said in our lives. You want to stand with me and just pray to God that very same prayer. Lord, I'm sorry for the things that I've said that have been wrong over the course of my life. And God, even tonight, would you cleanse me and forgive me of everything that I've said that's been damaging to another, damaging to me, and offensive to you. And I declare, Lord, I believe you, that my words are powerful, and I should respect them. So forgive us, Lord. Would you rekindle and renew our understanding and our faith in your word in us? Would you help us come the right way cultivate faith within us, Jesus. I pray as we read that we would be patient and diligent and that we would read until we hear. Cause us to be the living word in Glasgow, the living word in our homes, in our families, in our workplaces. Maybe just one or two of you want to pray out and consolidate today's morning on faith and tonight on the tongue. Just pray it in to us as a fellowship. said about us in the past we break it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ anything negative anything that was not of you anything that was not uplifting or upbuilding 
and edifying. We cast it out tonight, out of our self-portrait, our, our, our belief of ourselves, our image of ourselves. Lord, may it be what you want. Help us, God. We go right back, God, to our childhood, to our upbringing, to our parents. Correct us, Jesus. Correct our thinking. And thus correct our speech.